This is recording number 11083 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, December 29, 2013. This is the fifth and final message in a series titled, The Characters of Christmas. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Wise Men. Divine Guidance. be looking at Matthew chapter 2 and we'll begin reading I'll begin reading in just a moment at verse 1 so we've talked about Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and today we're going to be talking about the wise men Matthew 2 verse 1 now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, tradition has it that there were three wise men, and that's primarily based on the fact that there were three gifts that were presented. We'll read about that in a minute. But we really don't know how many of these guys there were. But we know that it's plural, so there was more than one. Most of the stories that we, or the you know, accounts we see either presented on Christmas cards or movies or whatever show, you know, everybody camped out around the manger, the shepherds, Mary, Joseph, and the wise men all together on the night of Christ's birth. And that's, uh, that may have happened that way. But it's really more likely that the wise men come quite a bit later. Um, you'll see that this passage begins now after Jesus was born. So sometime after the birth of Jesus, the the wise men come. You're going to see later that uh, he, they come to a house. It's not described as a stable. Um, and you're also going to see that uh, Herod, the, the person they, that was kind of the king of, or, uh, the ruler, let's put it that way, under Rome of uh, that area of Palestine, when they come to him, he asks them specifically, you know, what when they first saw this star that guided them uh, to Jerusalem. And uh, in, based on that information, he um, sets up a kind of a horrific ser- uh, set of circumstances where because Herod was so paranoid of anybody re- usurping his authority that the idea that a king has been born in his realm is obsessing him and he wants to put out this threat. And so he arranges this horrific scene where he sends uh, minions to kill every uh, uh, boy, any, every child two years and younger in Bethlehem. And uh, so... All that put together gives us the idea that these wise men have come uh, perhaps as much as two years after the birth of Jesus. That's when these things are happening. Verse, um, let me read verse 2 again. So they've come to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And I've already explained that he was a very paranoid individual. And all Jerusalem was also stirred up or troubled with him. 
And when he, Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, in other words, he's gathered his wise men, uh, because they, the, the wise men from the east have made this inquiry about where is the king. So he gathers his wise men, the scribes and Pharisees, uh, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And it's fairly amazing that these guys know exactly. There's no question, no hesitation. Verse 5, so they said to him, in Bethlehem, of course, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. They knew where the Messiah was to be born because they knew the scriptures. And then they quote it. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared... And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Biggest lie ever told. He had no intention of worshiping. Uh, He had other things in mind. Verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. Interesting. I'll come back and talk about that in a minute. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As the New Testament opens and um, we uh, begin to see the Advent narrative unfold, we are hearing God speak for the first time in 400 years. Now, let me explain. The Old Testament closes with the book of Malachi. He was the final um, recorded prophet of God that we have in the scriptures. And we don't hear anything more from God for literally 400 years until these events begin to unfold. And an unlikely group of people are the ones that are beginning to hear from God again. This little young girl from uh, Nazareth or from, um, you know, the, the vicinity thereof. Mary, Joseph, shepherds, and now wise men in the form of a star. These guys are hearing from God in the form of the star. What are they hearing? Well, they're hearing divine guidance. When God speaks, he says a lot of things. Sometimes he's, he's uh, teaching us. Sometimes he's communicating his love to us. Sometimes he's in, encouraging us. And sometimes he's guiding us. In this case, in the, in the wise men's case, God's speaking was about guidance. And so today we're going to be focusing in on divine guidance. How many of you have ever wanted to hear guidance from God about anything? God, what do you want me to do here? Should I buy this? I, I'm, I'm obsessed with this because I've got to buy a car probably today. So should I buy this car? You know, should, I, should I marry this person? Should I move there? Should I take this job? Whatever. I think uh, the hands raised a moment ago indicate that you understand that this is something that's pretty important to all of us. 
And these guys, these wise men, are smack dab in the middle of this, of the Advent, for at least this purpose. I mean, there's a lot of things you can, you could uh, talk about regarding their part in the story. But the at the base of it, at the at, at least, God is showing us how He guided these men to Himself, to the to the Messiah. So that's what we're going to focus in on. Now, I said a moment ago that. God had been silent for 400 years. I really, personally, I doubt whether God was silent. I think we stopped listening. Now, God would have been, um, he would have been perfectly righteous to stop talking because we had stopped listening a long time ago. A long time before that, let's put it that way. God had been through his prophets uh, crying out to his people over and over and over as they kept turning, uh, turning their backs to him and walking away from him and from his word and doing all sorts of evil and wickedness and everything that they had in their hearts to do. And he kept saying, no, no, don't do that. You are ruining yourselves. You are ruining everything. Come back to me. He kept speaking to them over and over and they kept moving away uh, from his voice. And eventually, I think they stopped hearing him all together, um, they tuned him out. But I said God would have been ri- perfectly righteous to have stopped talking. He could have given us what we wanted. Apparently, we didn't want to hear from him. So he could have said, okay, I'll give you what you want. I tend to think that it was probably on our end of things that we stopped listening. But whatever the case, for 400 years, we have no record of God speaking. The Gospel of John, however, opens this way. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in verse 14 of that first chapter of John, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's a reference to the coming of Jesus. See, God was beginning to speak again. To simple... uh, unexpected people and in unexpected ways. And the wise men surely were some of those unexpected people. They were from the east. We don't know exactly where, but probably somewhere around uh, Babylon. Uh, because this, this group, uh, this sect, so to speak, uh, of wise men was kind of uh, housed there or, or emanated from there over the years. These guys were, they were intelligent. Now look, science was very, very different in those days than it is now. There was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of superstition and stuff wrapped up in science. But it still drew the same kinds of people. People who were uh, intent on knowing what could be known. Who had inquisitive minds. Who were uh, methodical in their approaches to things. Who were interested and watchful. Um, people who were... Uh, who loved to study everything and anything. So they were intelligent. They were kind of spiritual in a way that they, you know, they, they tend, as I said, there was a lot of superstition around various aspects of the, of the quote, quote, sciences in those days. But they had sort of a spiritual uh, part to them. They were powerful. They were famous. They were respected. Um, in fact, uh, Daniel, some of you will remember that Daniel was a young man who was taken 
captive from Jerusalem at the time when uh, Israel was sort of collapsing and falling apart and, and would eventually be the, the southern kingdom of Israel taken into captivity to Babylon prior to the final fall of Jerusalem, Daniel was taken to Babylon to serve uh, the king of Babylon. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel refused to um, adopt the, the culture and the practices of the Babylonians. He stood firm and fast in his faith in the one true God and in his word. And his, um, you know, that stand, that posture, that a fervent passion for the Lord caused him to be uh, noticed in a profound way. And he actually became the chief of the wise men. So these guys, although they come a lot later, they kind of, even though they are not Jews, and even though they are not likely uh, God-fearers, uh, so, so to speak, they come from that lineage, and they have a history, they have a connection to Daniel. So... It's not surprising that in all of their knowledge, they have some, they've come across indications that there, that there was supposed to be a, a powerful king, a, a surprising, wondrous, wonderful king that was to be born, and that his birth would be signaled by a unique celestial body, a star. They had access to Daniel's writings. They also probably had access to the... Um, uh, to the writings, uh, well, anyway, they, they had access to some of the scriptures, and they, so they, they were, were mindful of this. It was all part of the uh, complexity of their intelligence, and then it shows up, this unaccounted for, because they're watching, they're paying close attention to the heavens, and this surprising body shows up. We don't know if it was an actual star, a planet, a meteor, uh, but... It's, it gets their attention, and they begin to try to follow it. Now, how they did that, we don't know. It is possible to navigate by celestial navigation. It has been for, you know, millennia, especially on the open seas. When you, what you do is you use an instrument like a sextant, and you use the horizon, a fixed um, um, heavenly body, a star, a, 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 you know, a planet. And when I say fixed, I mean... You know where it's going to be at a certain time because that's the other factor. So you have a fixed body in the heavens. You know what time it is and where that should be at any particular time in the year and the horizon and you triangulate and you figure out where you are. You know where you're at. So they may have been able to navigate by, by that means. But I want to tell you, it's not entirely certain that that's what happened. It may have been that Something that looked like a star. Remember the children of Israel were guided from Egypt to the promised land by a pillar of fire. A, a, a material manifestation of the glory of God. Whenever that pillar of fire would rise from, um, from the tabernacle and begin to move, the people would pack up and follow it. And that's how they made their way through the wilderness. It's entirely possible that what these guys were observing was something along that line, or maybe even a, comp a, a combination of both. But it led them. It led them. And they find themselves in Jerusalem and ultimately at Bethlehem where they meet the newborn king and they worship him. Let's talk about what we can learn from these guys and, what they, and their experience 
about divine guidance. Divine guidance is first and foremost for those who listen. The reason they even noticed this star was because they were looking. They were looking. It's surprising to me. I'll use myself as an example, but, you know, you're probably like this too. It's interesting how desperate I can get to hear the voice of God when I am in trouble. And how most of the rest of the time I don't care what he's saying. The truth is, if we want to be people who hear from God, we, we need to listen. All right, so the question is, all right, well, what do I listen for? How do I, I hear this? Oh, man, if there's one thing that I, one question I've had uh, more than any other as a pastor for, for 30 years is, how do I know if God is speaking to me? What does his voice sound like? Well, I, I've asked that question myself a number of times. But the Bible gives us some very important clues as to for what to listen for. Let's talk about a couple of those. In, in 1 Kings chapter 19, there's this guy named Elijah. And God calls him away and says, I'm going to speak to you. So he goes to this mountain and he's waiting for God to speak to him. And first there's this wind. <sighs> And, and uh, Elijah's thinking, oh, this must be it. This is so dramatic, so powerful. But God's voice wasn't in the wind. Then there was an earthquake. <laughs> oh, this must be it. That's, that's God speaking to me. And no. Then there was a fire. I mean, really serious stuff. But God wasn't in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire. We're told he spoke to Elijah in a still Small voice. Focus in on those two words with me for a minute because they will help you. You raised your hand a minute ago, most of you, to say, I, I could use divine guides from time to time. Listen up because this is what to listen for. Have you ever been in a room with a bunch of people talking, yakking away and so forth, and somebody mentions your name and there you, you hear it? You're not, you're not, you can't distinguish any of the other din that's going on around you, but somebody mentions your name and you're... Where are you? Where, you know, what are you saying about me? Because we have trained ourselves to listen for our name. It began when we were very, 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 very young. And so we gotten good at it. If we start to listen for the way God speaks, we will get better at hearing his voice. This is how he speaks. He speaks in a still, small voice. There's one more thing we'll get to in a minute, but these two. The word still means, as you might imagine, quiet, quiet. Now, does that mean that God is speaking so as not to be heard? You all know what it's like to speak under your breath. You know, you don't want the person to actually hear what you're saying. That idiot, why did he do that? Oh, yeah, I, I, I was, you know. We, God is not speaking so as not to be heard, but he will not compete for your attention. He is the God of all gods. If you imagine God trying to flag you down and say, hey, hey, I'm trying to talk to you over here, you've got another thing coming. <clears throat> His voice is quiet. That means you're going to have to, you're going to have to turn down the other noise and learn to listen, pick His voice out. 
If you crowd your thoughts and life with so much other stuff and then wonder why you can't hear God, hmm, come on. God speaks to us in a quiet voice. It says that he speaks to us in a small voice. That means compressed in the, in the original language. It means compressed. If you've ever listened to a, a digital audio file, you've been listening to a compressed file. Um, you, everybody heard of MP3, right? It's a file format that takes out about 95% of what the original file contained and squeezes it down to its bare essentials so that it's actually manageable by your computer gear. Even more so with video files. They're so huge. Everything you ever watch on, uh, on a computer screen that's of a video nature. That was weird. A video nature. Anyway, any video you ever watch on your computer screen is very, 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 very compressed. God speaks to us in a compressed way. And here's what I mean by that. He says a lot in a little. Imagine this. Imagine that you're at the Rose Bowl. There's an important college football game that's going to take place there pretty soon. There's about 100,000 seats in that stadium. There's also about 100,000 words in the average novel. So let's say we're all going to go to the Rose Bowl and we're going to read aloud um, some... Uh, John Grisham, uh, he's one of my favorite writers, some John Grisham novel, all right? And we're going to assign one word from that book to every single person. So on the, we put a microphone out at midfield on the 50-yard line. At the count of three, we all say our one word. And in about in one second, we've recorded an entire book of 100,000 words. It's completely unintelligible if you play it back. But could you begin to unpack that thing, it would unfold into a 100,000-word novel, right? God speaks to us like that. He speaks to us in a compressed way, a small way, so that there's just a light touch. But you've received this huge package, and if you're patient and willing, you can start to, oh my, whoa, this gets big, this is, hey, whoa, dear God. That's how God speaks to us. He doesn't speak to us. If you're listening for a linear voice, in other words, he doesn't speak to us the way we do, one word after another. He speaks in a package like that. So if you start to listen for that, you won't miss it as often. But it requires your willingness to consider it, to unpack it, to unfold it. So God speaks to us in a still, small voice. He also speaks to us in a surprising way. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21 says, When you get to the intersection and you don't know which way to go, to the right or the left, there will be a voice from behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. God will surprise you. He will sneak up on you. He will not, rarely will you hear God when you're on your knees, banging the floor, God, talk to me right now. Why? Because you could convince yourself of anything you want at that moment. You are so desperate, you could convince yourself God is saying almost anything. God almost always will speak to you when you least expect it, when you're not, when you're not pounding your fist on the floor, because then it's like, what? Really? Wow. I wasn't thinking of that. I wasn't, I wasn't looking for that. 
So if we start listening and listening for God's voice in the right way, still, small, and surprising, we'll get better at hearing his voice. So divine guidance is for those who listen. Who listen. The, the wise men were looking. That's why they saw the star. The next thing about divine guidance I want to point your attention to is that it begins general and becomes specific. These guys, they followed the star and it got them close. It got them to Jerusalem. But then they needed some specifics that got them to uh, Bethlehem, which is a couple miles away. God's direction or guidance to you will always be first general. Where do we get that? Here. This is a book full of God speaking to us, full of his guidance. If we live here, if we pattern our life after the directives and dictates of the word of God, the scripture, the written word of God, we will always find ourselves in the neighborhood of his specific will. We'll, just be cl- we'll always be close. And then it just takes a little nudge of the Holy Spirit and a developing sensitivity to that spirit because we've lived in the general word of God that will get us to our uh, final intended destination. But God's, you know, what we want is, like back to my car thing, what I want today is I want for God to say, Randy, buy a Kia Soul. That's what we want, right? We want God to speak specifically, directly to our need. That's what we long for. That's what we're desperate for. But you know what? That rarely happens. What happens is I live my life in a godly way after God's will. And when I am in those times when I need to figure out how, you know, what car to buy, I will be close. I'll be in the neighborhood. And then it's just a matter of the Holy Spirit nudging me a little bit and I'll be there. God's Divine guidance always begins general and becomes specific. God's or divine guidance always requires faith, dear ones. There will never be that, or rarely will it be, that you have absolute certainty about divine guidance. Why? Because Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Because God wants a trusting relationship with us. He wants relationship with us. There's no relationship if he's just barking orders and we're doing what he says. There's relationship when we are waiting upon him, listening for him, walking with him, and that requires faith. So my, one of my pastors once told me something I will never, ever forget. He said, there is no faith without risk. And I mean, I'm not saying that God is risky. He's a safe bet. Trust me, he's a safe bet. But it feels risky sometimes. And that's where faith comes in. So divine guidance will always have a little measure of, okay, <laughs> Here we go. It'll always be like that. Always, always, always. There, don't, don't panic when it's like that. It's always going to be that way. There will always be an element of faith involved in pursuing God's guidance. Finally, divine guidance is always toward Jesus. Always. So we have this idea that our lives are compartmentalized. I have my material life over here, and that's where I want to know what kind of car to buy. And then I have 
my spiritual life over here, and this is where, you know, mostly God is involved. Over there, I use Edmunds.com or, you know, AutoTrader, you know, something like that. That's, you know, that's not, I don't need God for that. I, but, you know, church and stuff like that, well, that's where I need God. As though there was some great divide between those two things. No. We are one person, and everything about our lives is spiritual. Everything. And it's always about Jesus. Even my car buying. Really. It's about him. And so God's guidance is never just about the thing you are so desperate to know. It's about the one you need to know above all else. And his name is Jesus. Divine guidance. God wants to speak to us. He does. And the wise men are in the nativity story to make clear that we have a God in heaven who is not silent and wants to speak to us. He is the word that became flesh. He wants for you to know his voice and to follow it.